What's up, everybody? Oh, snap. All right. What's up? <laughs> Turn to your neighbor. Say hello. Just greet them. You know, introduce yourself. Say, I'm glad to receive the word with you today. Today, um, today we're going to talk about something real special. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about love. (laughs) You taking notes today, the title of this message is, is love is not a Korean drama. Maybe you can, if you don't, if you've never seen a Korean drama, you know, we can have the title be a little flexible. Love is not the young and the restless. It's not the bold and the beautiful. I don't know why I know the names of these soap operas. It is not guiding light. So there's these soap operas in America that my mom used to always watch. My mom used to watch. Like they're like Korean dramas, but they're in the States. And they always came on around uh, 1 to like 4.30. And so when I get, off, get out of school, I get home, and like we, had, we had like one TV for the longest time, and it was one of those TVs with the antenna that's like aluminum foil. You know, we weren't balling, you know, and, we, and like the, the antenna would break, so we made the, the antenna completely out of aluminum foil. And then like the, the, the dial fell off, so we had to like use a knife and a wrench, you know. And, and we had like four channels and it was like soap operas, Oprah and what? <laughs> and uh, we got an Oprah eye in the house and uh, and then also, you know, cartoons, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and other great wholesome shows like that. And so whenever I get home, I come so ready to watch my cartoons but my mom was always watching her stories. She called them stories. I was like, mom, these aren't real. She's like, but it's so good. She always watching. And uh, even when I came to Korea, I recognized that in Korea, there's this huge obsession with Korean dramas. You know, I was hanging out with some friends the other night and, and like, it was so funny because we're all hanging out and then it gets to, it gets to a little later we eat dinner and I'm about to go to the bathroom, but some of them are talking and they're like, they're like, uh, yeah. So one of the sisters is like, um, listen, so everyone needs to leave by nine 30. I was like, what, what are they talking about? They need to leave by nine 30. Cause that's when the show comes on. I was like, wait a minute. You guys are openly discussing when to kick us out so you can watch your Korean dramas. There's like this huge obsession with Korean dramas and like even like the romantic comedies. How many of you guys are big fans of romantic comedies? All right. Some of the brothers want to put up their hands. (laughs) You know, love is something that that all of us have a grid for. You know, this is. 
love is something that all of us have an understanding for. All of us have some sort of understanding for love because it defines our lives. It defines the human life. And so I want to talk to you today about love. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Right? We are here at this chapter now. We have made it to the love chapter in our series in 1 Corinthians. And I want to tell you something. This message in particular is a message that I am working on, definitely. This is something that I am not strong in, and that is loving people well. I want to be stronger at loving people well. How many of us want to be better at love? Some of y'all are like, no. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. We're going to talk after service. Love is something that I can personally confess, like I continually get convicted on. I think this entire week, different situations, different things would come up. You know, I would say something that I meant, you know, sarcastically, but not seriously because my humor is kind of dry and sarcastic and I would hurt someone's feelings. And then I was like, dang it, I got to get better at loving people. Something else would happen where like I'd be on the subway and it'd be a packed subway and it's hot and I'm, my legs are tired because I've been standing all day and I get that open seat. And as soon as I sit down, you know, because right as the doors open, everyone leaves. So there's an open seat. You run and sit down. As soon as I sat down, you know, Ajuma walks over and she just she stands right over me. Just. <laughs> and that, that's when I've got all the email in the world to look at then. You know, not getting up until much later. Because <laughs> at, at some point I was afraid she was going to hit me. <laughs> so I got up. But just throughout this whole week, God's just been hammering me on, on loving well and, and what that looks like. And so I, I'm going to talk three things about loving well. But I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're actually going to start at verse 31 of chapter 12. Because that flows into chapter 13. And we're going to read it. All together. All right, so I'm, I'll read, and how about you guys just look along as I read it? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned, deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. Bow your heads. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you that you desire for us to grow in love. You desire for us to to grow in the truth of what it means to love you and to love one, one another. Even in your word, the greatest commandment is to love you and to love others. So, God, I pray today, Lord, that as your word goes out, that it would be sharper than any double-edged sword. It would pierce through every lie, every misconception, every false belief, God, that we've carried in our lives about love. And, Lord, you would establish us in the truth today, God, because, Lord, you desire for us more than anything else to love and to love well. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to move and we thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I've always had these misconceptions about love. And here in this book in First Corinthians, beforehand, he's talking about spiritual gifts. The context of this passage is that he's, he's talking to the church in Corinth about spiritual gifts. I told you last week that the church in Corinth, it had a lot of problems. It had a lot of different things going on. There was division. There was fighting. There were people that were continuously bickering with one another. There was sexual immorality. You know, it's been reported among you that. One of your brothers, he's sleeping with his father's wife. He's sleeping with his stepmother. There's all kinds of sexual immorality taking place. But also the church in Corinth was a very powerful church. If we looked at it in terms of the manifest, the supernatural manifestations that we would see. There were people that moved in prophecy. They moved in healing. They moved in, in what we would call signs and wonders. You know, things that you saw and you realize this is not normal. People know being able to stand up and prophesy and tell what God is saying. It it would have such clarity and accuracy, yet and still it was causing division in the church. So last week I talked about spiritual gifts, but I talked about it more in the context of unity. More in the context of what how spiritual gifts are meant to bring us together and not separate us. That community is meant for us to be together with one another where we we don't think of ourselves too highly, but we don't think of ourselves too less either. We need one another. Right. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, I need you. <laughs> I need you. Brothers, watch how you say that. I need you. I'm sure you all felt really uncomfortable. I was watching some of you. you I need you. Not going to make eye contact. Just going to look at your nose as I say that. And there's this, you know, he talks about how there's this, this aspect where we need one another. We need each other in the body of Christ and spiritual gifts are meant to bring us all together so that we can be one. We can represent one body. Well, 
But Paul doesn't want to just stop there. He doesn't stop at unity. He doesn't want to just get you to the place where we understand that spiritual gifts are for today and they are for one another. He wants to get to the heart motive. He wants to get to the place where people can't see. You know, in the church, we're really good about what people see, but we don't do as well with the things that are unseen. You know, what we think, what we feel, how we really think about that person that's sitting across from us. What we really think about that pastor. Mm. There was some agreement that went out there. Some people are like, oh, oh, that was that was for me. And Paul wants to get to that that deeper place, because if you don't deal with what happens in the heart, it doesn't matter what you say or do. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said that it's not actually what goes inside of you that makes you unclean, but rather what comes out. Because what matters is deeper. What matters is not what everyone sees on the outside. And so I want to talk to you about three different things about love. Okay, the first thing I want you to know about love, we're going to look verses one to one to three. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The first thing I want you to know about love is that love prioritizes relationship over function. Love prioritizes relationship over function. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Well, here in this passage, Paul's talking a lot about what people were doing. He was talking about how people were speaking in tongues like men and of angels. There were people walking around, sha-la-ba-la-la-sha-ba-ba-sha-la-la. And people are like, oh, I understand what you're saying. That's actually, you know, that's my native language. That sha-la meant, you know, Jesus. <laughs> that basa meant, you know, he's here. I'm like, I don't know. But, you know, they were speaking in tongues. There was, they were prophesying powerfully. They were picking people out, saying, you right there, stand up. This is what God is saying to you. They had faith. We put a big prophecy on faith in the body of Christ, right? Faith. They believed. When the preacher preached, everyone's like, amen. Mm, that's good. That's a good word. Hallelujah. Shabbat Shabbat. That's for me. Shabbat Shabbat. Yeah. I don't know of anyone who says that, but if I meet that person, we'll know. They understood all mysteries and all knowledge. Wouldn't you want to be that kind of believer? Understand all mysteries, all knowledge. They had all these different things going for them, but at the end of the day, they didn't have love. And for most of us, we're not like this. You know, we're not speaking in the tongues of men and of angels. We're not, we're not walking around with prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge. We're not walking around with all faith as so as to remove mountains. But Paul, he's using these examples because he wants to talk about really not just these particular spiritual gifts, but everything that exists on the outside that we use to cover up what happens on the inside. You 
You know, in my family, me and my uncle, I have this uncle. He's, he's two years older than my mother, and he's a bodybuilder. And this guy is huge. Like, he looks like three of me put together on steroids. Like, he is huge. He looks like the Hulk if he were black. Like, he is huge, big guy. And growing up, he, but it's interesting because he's, like, so big and everything. But he, he despises if anyone thinks he's stupid because he's so big. Like, he's like, I'm not, I'm not a jock, you know, I'm smart. And so growing up, me and him would always get into these, like, competitions, which he would always start. Like, I'm, like, five years old, and he wants to do, like, a multiplication contest with me and him. I'm like, what's wrong with you? You're, like, 20 years older than me, you know? But, <laughs> like, even, like, it was so funny. Like, he got, he went and took Hapkido. If you know what Hapkido is, like, a martial art. And... I was doing wrestling in high school at that time. And when he found out I was doing wrestling, he wanted to spar. Like he wanted to grapple with me and he weighed 200 pounds more than me. And he's like, come on, come in the room, come in the room right now. I'm like, what do you want? He said, all right. And he just like smacks me. He's like, let's fight. And I was like, what are you doing? And so we like, I was like, okay, let's wrestle. He's like, all right, cool. And so we wrestle. And then all of a sudden he puts me in a chokehold. And I couldn't breathe. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, tap out. Tap out. (laughs) And I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'm getting somewhere. That's why I'm getting somewhere. And then it got to this one day where me and my uncle, we got to this point where we found out this, this is when the internet came around. And so we found this online IQ test. And so he found it. And when he found it, he was like, Marcus, get in here right now. And I'm like, okay, what's up? What do you need? He's like, Let's take this IQ test. I'm like, All right. You know, I took IQ test in like kindergarten. And so I'm like, I haven't. OK, well, let's do it. And so we take it. We take it. And then he invites my mom to come in. He invites my mom to come in. And my family just had this competitive aspect to them. And he invites my mom. He's like, he's like, Lisa, come in here. You take this IQ test, too. You know, and so my mom, we all take the IQ test. And so me and him. You know, we score, you know, pretty, we score pretty high. You know, I'm not going to say my score, but we, I was proud of my score, but I scored higher than him. Right. And so he's making up all these excuses. Like, it's because I don't know how to use a keyboard. I said, like, you typed in the website. He said, like, I don't know how to use a mouse. I said, like, you clicked, you know, anyways. But then my mom takes it and my mom takes it. And my mom got significantly less than us both. And immediately when she got her score, we walk over and we look at her score and we were like. (coughs) (coughs) Listen, I don't feel proud about this. I'm being vulnerable. And it was weird because I'd never seen that look in my mom's eyes ever before. But when she looked at me, she looked like like that. You know, you ever seen those cartoons of like the animal, like when the cat or like the dog's wanting something and it does like that look and its eyes are bigger than its head. My mom had this look in her eye and I could tell like there was water and I was, I'm, I'm sorry. It was too late. And in that moment. I didn't know the Lord, but the lesson I learned right then was not to ever put being right above relationship. I know I shared a lot about, but that's what I was trying to get to. 
So many of us, we put, maybe you don't prophesy, you know, like the most powerful person, you know, maybe you're not someone who everyone looks to for all wisdom and all knowledge. But so many of us, we have this temptation to put being right above relationship. In the church, we're so good at doing the right thing, saying the right thing, acting like the right person. Even if it costs us relationship. Even if it costs us being in unison with the person next to us. You know, they said amen in Corinth. They, they knew the power of God. They knew all these different things that were taking place, but no one was being transformed. No one was being transformed because they put function above fellowship. See, fellowship is a sharing of heart. Fellowship is when you begin to put the person next to you above yourself. Fellowship is when two become one. But so often what happens is we put function above fellowship. I'll tell you, as a pastor, I have this temptation all the time. When I get anxious or when I feel uncomfortable, the first thing I want to do is find something to do. You know? Because if I can find something to do, I don't have to talk to that person. If I can find something to look at, you know, I'll even maybe maybe some of us, we get so holy. We'll just start praying, you know, I'm just with the Lord right now so that we don't have to talk to that person. Maybe we look the other way. I mean, what do you do? That puts function above fellowship. You know, love It's actually so much different than that. You know, when we put function above fellowship, what we're really saying is that what we do determines who we are. See, the church in Corinth, everybody was so big on what they did and and doing this right and doing this right and prophesying this way and making sure I can do these things because they believed that what they did determined who they were. And so they didn't know how to love people in the right way. They didn't know how to humble themselves and honor other people or to lower themselves and lift up other people because they thought that it was what they what they do determines who they are rather than the fact that who you are is what determines what you do. You know, we love people because we've been loved. We something we like to say at New Philly is we honor. We don't honor people a lot of times because on the outwards they deserve it. We honor people because we are honorable. And so because we are honorable, we naturally from the outflow of who we are, we honor other people. From the outflow of of what I've experienced, I'm able to nurture and love someone else. Because that's actually what real love is. Paul connects what Paul connects this aspect of ministering or or using function without love to identity. He says, if you prophesy without love, you're nothing. He says, I am nothing. Because he understands that at the center of it all is really what's happening on the inside. At his heart. About, his, about the love that he has deep inside. So how do we love? What, what is love? You know? You know that song? What is love? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> you know, at night at the Roxbury. 
You know, because love, love is a word that gets, it gets used quite a bit. As soon as I said, we're going to talk about love, everyone was like, ooh. It's like no one got nervous in terms of, oh, this is going to challenge me beyond what I'm used to, right? You know, everyone's like, ooh, we're talking about mm, emotions and feelings. <laughs> talking about that sister over there. We're talking about that brother over there. Mm, love, right? Because in our society, in our culture, the way we understand love is love being primarily an emotion. We understand love to be something you feel, not something you do. We understand love to be something that I feel towards someone. I must like them a lot. Therefore, I love them. But the Bible actually doesn't define love in that way. The Bible defines love first as an action. And then it also defines love as a position. And it also defines love as a person. See, when we say that love is an emotion, love is a feeling, we misunderstand love. And this is the second thing I want you to know about love is that love has boundaries. Love has boundaries and love has qualifications. You know, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is sin. Paul talks to us, he, he, he lays it out for us here. He says, love is, is patient and kind. You know, the word patient, the word patient in the Greek, it means to, it means to keep wrath far away. That's what it literally means, the word patient. What is the opposite of patience? impatience <laughs> that was simple enough no actually in that greek word the opposite of patience is not impatience the opposite of patience is wrath when's the last time you felt anger in your heart towards someone and most of us especially in our culture we don't say it in korean culture you definitely don't show it you smile let me just get through this so I don't have to be around them much longer. Love is patient. But the opposite of, of patience is wrath. Love is kind. That word actually means gentle. This is one I, I, I have trouble with. Being gentle. You know, I've grown, I grew up in a culture where we made fun of everything. <laughs> everything. Even, even, even when we had our toughest times, we would find something to laugh at in the midst of it. But I realized that not everyone grew up that way. And so when someone's going through a tough time and I'm laughing, <laughs> that's apparently not gentle. I found out that's not loving. <laughs> you know, like someone... It happens all the time on staff, like someone will get like, you know, I remember when we first started doing our staff meetings and things were very different back then. It was myself, Pastor Christian, Pastor Aaron, uh, Pastor Myungwa, Pastor Mina, who's down at Seaside. And we would have our meetings and Mina, Myungwa and Pastor Aaron back then were a lot more sensitive than they are now. And back then, Pastor Christian maybe was a little less 
sensitive than he is now. And me, I was just, I'm so laid back. I was just, you know, chilling, whatever. And so, like, I would do something wrong, and I would get rebuked. And when I would get rebuked, it would just be like, okay, all right, yeah, yes, amen, okay, all right, I'll change, yes, you know. But then when, when like, Pastor Christian would rebuke maybe, like, one of the other sisters, like, it would, like, he would, like, what, what was that about? That's not, that's not the heart. That's not what you're doing. And all of a sudden, you know, hands would go down. <laughs> and it would happen around the same time every meeting. Like 30 minutes in. And so I would be like looking at my watch. Uh oh. And then I would start laughing, not because I didn't empathize. <laughs> I, I felt their pain. I knew what they were going through. But just because the way I was raised, I, I found it funny that it happened every week at the same time. And so over time, I realized that that's not kind. (laughs) I'm still working on that. Maybe for you, it's not that. You know, being gentle. Being gentle can also mean the way in which you convey love to someone when they are in sin. It actually says that when someone's in sin, you restore them in the spirit of gentleness. You restore them with with love and, and kindness. It's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. Most of us don't understand love because we have this jacked up view of God. We think that God is always trying to punish us, but God is slow to anger. He's unbelievably patient. He's abounding in steadfast love. He is unbelievably kind and gentle. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. True repentance actually comes from a response of his kindness, recognizing that God loves you so much that you shouldn't do what you're doing. He's that kind to you that you should get up out of that pit. He keeps going. He talks about all these different characteristics. As I read through all of them, it's like a checklist of things that I realize sometimes I don't do. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. That word envy means to desire earnestly. To desire something that you don't have. Boasting. Boasting means to embellish, to go beyond or to brag. And both of these things come from a lack mentality. You know, I don't have enough. Therefore, I got to be jealous of the person next to me. I don't have enough, therefore I've got to act like I have more than enough. And he says, neither one of those things is love. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't insist on its own way. You know, when I talk to any of the married couples, that's the first thing they tell me you got to give up when you get married. is your own way. (laughs) Because that's not loving. Always wanting to do what we want to do. And, and, and it's selfishness. But that's not love. It's not irritable or, or resentful. When's the last time you were irritated? Let's just be real today. When's the last time you were irritated? <laughs> today. Woke up this morning irritated. 
had a dream that made him upset or resentful. Let me talk. Let's talk about bitterness, unforgiveness. You know, unforgiveness, I've always heard unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. Unforgiveness is is putting yourself in a prison and then believing that the other person's in the cage when you're the one that's actually in, in bars. And it's not love. You know, love... I said earlier, I said the opposite of love is not hatred. The opposite of love is sin. First John 4 says that God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Right? And God, God is a person and God has boundaries. There's, there's areas when you're walking in love, there's, you can be standing in love and then easily step out of love. And whenever you step outside of love, anything that's outside of God is sin. And if God is love, anything that's outside of love is sin. And what we don't realize in the church is a lot of times is that we're walking in sin. We're walking in sin towards one another when we're impatient, when we're not gentle, when we're boasting and arrogant and rude. And it it causes us. It causes us to fall out of relationship with one another and to fall out of relationship with God. The third thing I want you to know about love, and this is the one thing I want to spend, I want to talk about quite a bit, is love is vulnerable. Verse 7, it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I want to skip down to verse 12. It says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Love is the most vulnerable thing. Because love, love requires vulnerability that many of us are not willing to give. He says that love, love bears all things. You know, bearing all things is very vulnerable to take on somebody else's punishment, to take on somebody else's pain, to take on somebody else's suffering. That means coming outside of our own walls, coming outside of the things that we built up in our own lives to touch someone else. And that's really hard to do. Love believes all things. You know, love means that you believe the best about the person next to you. That's love. But don't we have trouble with believing all things about the person next to us? Don't we have trouble believing the best about the people we see? Because what do we say? We say, well, what if. What if they turn against me? What if they reject me? What if they let me down? I don't want to believe the best about my parents because they've done so much to me. I don't want to believe the best about my small group member because they've disappointed me. I don't want to believe the best about the people in my workplace because we we think that if we believe the best about them, if we believe in them, we're vulnerable. What if they turn against us? 
What if they let us down? Isn't that a very vulnerable place? You know, I didn't, I met my father when I was 13. And he was around for two years and then he completely vanished. And I'm going back to the States in, at the end of May. And throughout my, throughout when I heard that my father was back in North Carolina, actually like really close to my hometown, God's been putting it on my heart continually to believe the best about him, to hope the best about him. But I've not wanted to do it. I've not wanted to believe that if I, if I reach out and I go to visit him, he's going to be open to talk to me. I haven't wanted to be vulnerable enough to think that to hope the best for my father, to believe the best about my father because it's so vulnerable. It feels so unsafe, you know? What if he rejects me? Sometimes I don't even want to pray for him because I think that if, what, what if I pray for him and nothing happens? But the Bible says that love that's not love. The Bible says that love is a choice to believe the best, to hope the best. Love is a choice to endure when everything around you is saying give up. To give up on that person, to give up on on that good thing that you've been trying so hard for, to give up on it. Love says the Bible says that love is letting down your walls first before someone else lets their walls down. To be completely vulnerable before someone else gets vulnerable. Why am I telling you all this stuff about my father? Why am I telling you all this stuff about how I fail at loving well? Well, it's because I love you. It's because God loves you. And love is so vulnerable. I've struggled with being a pastor. I've struggled with being vulnerable. I've struggled with being vulnerable with the congregation. Because there's always always this fear in the back of my mind. But if I'm completely vulnerable, what if someone uses it against me? If I'm completely vulnerable, what if someone takes advantage? If I'm completely vulnerable, what if... This person tries this. What if this person does this? But that's not love. That's fear. That's not faith. That's not love. That's not believing all things, enduring all things. That's not being fully known. You know, the perfect example of love is Jesus. And uh, I was at the AIM prayer meeting and I was praying and God spoke to me and he said, Marcus, what I want you to know is, yes, you don't do a great job always at loving. But I'm teaching you how to love better by loving you better. See, Jesus is the perfect embodiment of love. And we learn how to love people better when we recognize how God, how Jesus continues to love us better. Jesus is patient. He's patient. He's kind. He doesn't envy. You're like, well, he's God. He has nothing to envy. No. 
He never looks at us with lack. He never looks at us with lack in his eyes. He never stops and says, you know, I, I can't believe that they've done this. I got to move even more so because of what they've done. He, does, he doesn't, he's not even self-seeking when he moves into our lives. It says we know his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave himself up. He laid his life down. He made himself the most vulnerable that anyone could possibly be. And he, and this is something that has taken me a long time to learn, is that Jesus places relationship over function. Meaning that God is not concerned about what you can do for him. He's more concerned about the person you're becoming. He is less concerned about what you can do for him and more concerned about the person you are becoming. That's why Paul started off saying, I can pro- I could prophesy, I can have faith, I can heal, I can do all these things. But if I have not love, I'm nothing. Because at the end of the day, Jesus, he cares so much about who we are becoming as people. He cares about whether or not we are becoming more selfless or selfish. He cares about whether or not we are making a choice to put someone else before ourselves or are we just looking out for our own needs. He cares about whether or not we are reaching out and praying for other people and just or just bringing up our own supplication. He cares about all these things because he himself died. He himself took it upon himself. He, he himself took upon our chastisement. He took upon our pain. He took upon our suffering. He took upon all of it so that we would know that we're loved. Not so that we, you know, there's this big thing. I need to love me. I got to love myself. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I heard this message from this preacher on on Tuesday, and he said, Jesus completely took it for granted that we would love ourselves. Meaning that Jesus knows that we love ourselves. We love ourselves really well. We make sure to eat. We make sure to put clothes on our back. We make sure to find a place to sleep. We make sure most of us to say encouragement to ourselves in the mirror that day. "Mm, I look good. But where we really struggle is loving God and loving other people. And God wants you to know that love. He wants you to walk in a life that embodies that love. Because there's nothing more satisfying. There's nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing more amazing than allowing God to use you to love someone else well. That's what it's about. Let's pray.